Samuel chapter number 12, and we'll look at the first 15 verses there. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse uh, number 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. Nathan was the man of God. Nathan was the prophet of God. Nathan was David's pastor, if you would. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and uh, nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man uh, that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said uh, to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Verse number 7. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thou art the man. Could you imagine hearing those words? Being David, they must have hit him like a lead balloon. I mean, that must have been like a shot to his heart. Uh, 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 Nathan might as well come with a gun and just shot him. I mean, when he said that, thou art the man, it was all of a sudden now David's sin, which, by the way, had been unknown for a year. Uh, no one had talked about it. David had not confessed it or admitted to it. And now the man of God shows up on his doorstep and gives him this parable, gives him this proverb, gives him this story. And he says, David, you're the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. Notice God reminiscing of his relationship and his blessings in David's life. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if thou had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Notice, even after Uriah is dead, that God still calls her the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house. Verse 11, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor. And he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. What a statement. I have sinned against the Lord. I don't know if I can read that without getting choked up. Because I understand that a lot of times when we read this, we judge David. But know about you, but when I read this, I judge me. Because when I sin, I sin against God too. When you sin, 
You sin against God too. We say, well, we sinned against... Notice what David admitted, confessed with his mouth. I have sinned against the Lord. Uh, and uh, he, said, he said in verse number uh, 13, And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Father, I pray as we look at God, uh, an embarrassing moment in the life of David, a time of scandal in the nation of Israel, God in politics, God, uh, the media, the news media would have been all over this, would have publicized this, this would have been all over the newspapers that David, the friend after God, the, uh, the anointed king of Israel, the man of God, has sinned. And, uh, Lord, I pray that sometimes, uh, God, that we forget that our sin is against you. God, that we would acknowledge that our sin is ever before you. God, when David sinned, he sinned against God in his heart. He sinned against you in his heart before he ever sinned against anyone else. Lord, I pray that in a time of scandal in our own lives, God, thank you for sparing us, for being merciful to us, for not publicizing our sin. God, for being kind to us. But God, I pray that we would not use that kindness as an occasion to sin again, but we would respond the way David responded. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We understand something about David, and I'm going to be quick because I don't have a whole lot of time this morning. We've got some baby dedications we're going to do at the end of the service. But what I wanted to say to you this morning is that when I look at the life of David, I see a different king than Saul. You know, Saul, when he sinned against God, he hid it. And there was a man of God that came to confront Saul with his sin. His name was Samuel. And Samuel came to Saul and told Saul that he had sinned. But Saul didn't respond the way David responded. Saul got angry. Saul got angry and upset with the man of God. He got angry and upset with God himself. He decided that he was greater than both those things in his actions, at least by deciding that he was going to continue to prosper as a king without the man of God and without God's help. And we know what happened to Saul. Saul was killed. Saul had the kingdom rent from him. Uh, Saul lost the blessings of God in his life. But let me say this, Saul's heart was not after God's heart. The Bible talks about David being a friend of God and being a man after God's own heart. There's something to be said of that, that... Our hearts need to be after God's heart. you agree with that this morning? Our hearts need to be after God's heart. You know, if my heart ceases from going after God's heart, I'm going to fall into scandal. I'm going to fall into sin. Because it is the natural course of letting our flesh have its way. Our flesh having its way will ultimately and every time lead to destruction. And when people don't allow their hearts to go after God's heart, when they allow a break in fellowship between them and God, and they don't deal with that, and they don't make it right, and they carry their sins around, it affects them, yes. It affects others indefinitely. It affects the church, if the person's a member of a church. It hurts people. 
And by the way, it, it is a blasphemy against the testimony of God to the world. If you look at uh, the end of this, as Nathan talks to David, he says, there's a, there's a consequence that's going to come because now you've caused the uh, people in the world to have an occasion to blaspheme God. In other words, you've caused them to actually be able to say, oh, this is what God's people do. This is what a nation of Israelites do. You know, you've heard it before. I've, I've heard the media uh, allude to things like that. Oh, this is a man of God, and look what he's done. As if to say that it's God's fault that he did it. As if to say that everybody that would align themselves in belief with this person will also be that way. And, you know, there's an occasion that the world is looking to blaspheme the people of God and our God in heaven. And the Bible tells us as Christians that our behavior is to uh, not allow them to blaspheme our God. In other words, our behavior is to be such as becometh saints, the Bible says. Christians, the people of God. Now, I know something about me that maybe you don't know about you. I don't feel very saintly all the time. Anybody else like that? Because I don't always feel saintly. I don't always... When you got up this morning, maybe you didn't feel like a Christian. Or maybe you got up and you were whistling and singing and, you know... Maybe you were just, you know, you, you were, you know, this morning everything was great. Maybe this morning it didn't happen like that for you. And maybe you're here this morning and, you know, this is difficult and this is not going to be an easy thing. It's not going to be any easier for me than it is for you, to be honest. It'll probably be harder for me because I actually have to say it all. You just have to sit and listen to it. But what I'm saying to you this morning is that when we deal with sin, the Bible says that we need to deal with it. We don't need to ignore it. We don't need to put it aside. We don't need to, you know, just treat it like it's going to go away. Uh, time doesn't heal the wound of sin. Only confessing and forsaking and repentance does away with sin. That's what the Bible teaches about sin. So unless you confess, forsake, and repent of that sin, by the way, if you repent, you will confess and forsake. Those are two elements of repentance, confession and forsaking. It's changing my heart. And putting my heart back after God's heart. See, David, for a year's time, had ignored his sin. See, did he not have God's Spirit? Didn't he have the Word of God? Could he not have gotten right with God on his own? Had David sinned before in his life? I'm sure he had. I'm sure David understood that when you sin, you get right with God. But for something in David, there was something in him that just said, okay, this is too big of a sin for God to bear. Or for the nation to bear, for me to have to confess, and so I'm just going to bury it. And I'm not going to deal with it. And I'm going to try to cover it up. And notice when he sinned, what did he do? I mean, he sinned. He took Bathsheba. There was a time when kings would go forth to battle. He went to the rooftop. He saw a woman bathing, Bathsheba. He, he lusted after her. He sent his servants to go and get her. He laid with her. Uh, he, he sinned uh, with her. And then when he did that, he said, I'm going to cover it up. And when he covered it up, it got worse. Because he tried to cover it up by getting Uriah to come home because later on he finds out she got pregnant. Can I share something with you? Who gives life? God does. So was it an accident that Bathsheba got pregnant? No. It was not an accident. You know, God is going to use this to judge David. Which is such a sad thing when you think about the life that was affected by it. But you look at the life of David and you see David's sorrow in all of this because David finally realizes what he did. 
not only did, did, did he take Uriah and he said, well, we'll bring Uriah home from the battle. And Uriah lay with his wife and then Uriah will think he, he's the father of the baby and only me and Bathsheba will know that that's not the truth. But Uriah was such a man of character that he would not go into his wife while his, his company was out on the battlefield sleeping on the ground. He said, I'm not going to go and lay in my bed and enjoy the laps of luxuries at home while I'm supposed to be on the battlefield. And even when they got him drunk, he had more character than David did. And he wouldn't go into his wife. And so that foiled David's plan. So David had a backup plan. Let's put Uriah on the front lines. And when Uriah, when the enemy comes up against Uriah, when the Philistines advance, let's withdraw. And we'll leave Uriah to fight the Philistines on his own. Now, what I read about Uriah, I also know that he didn't lay down his sword when that happened either. That Uriah stood and fought by himself because Uriah had character. And I believe that Uriah fought valiantly, but we know that Uriah died. And Uriah was killed. And the Bible doesn't ever say that Uriah was killed by the hand of the Philistines. It only says that Uriah was killed by the sword by David. By David. Because it was David that caused that to happen. It was David as the king who was supposed to protect Uriah. And David sent him to his his eminent doom, in battle. And he made the choice to do that. And by the way, God allowed him to do it. You know, you say, well, if I was God, I would have never allowed that to happen. Well, you're not. And God did. God allowed Bathsheba to get pregnant. God allowed Uriah to die on the battlefield. He could have otherwise stopped those things from happening. But God was not going to allow David's sin to be buried. You see. See, sin hurts other people. It hurts other people. And God said, I'm not going to allow David, I'm not going to allow you to bury this sin. So other people are going to be hurt because of what you're doing, because your sin's going to find you out. It's going to come out. It's going to uh, be worked out. And, and we understand that as David continued in all of this, that it just got darker for David. It got worse for David. Because the Bible promises, friend, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. That's what the Bible says, and David is a perfect example of that. As he covered his sin, he didn't prosper. He didn't prosper. It continued to get worse and worse and worse. Do you think that David sat on the throne, and as this was unfolding before his eyes, thought ever in his life that he would ever be looking at the scandal that he was looking at? No. This is the same David that was a shepherd boy that wrote many of the Psalms and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The same David that had the faith in God to march out on the field and slay Goliath with God's power. This was the same David that the kingdom sang, Saul is slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. This was the same David who would not even touch Saul when he had opportunity to kill him on his own, even though Saul was seeking to take his life. So he went and he cut off a little piece of Saul's cape. To show him, hey, Saul, I'm never going to hurt you. I could have killed you, but I'm not going to hurt you because you're God's man. And I respect God and I honor the Lord and the positions of, uh, that God gives those positions to those that hold them. Even though Saul was a wicked man, David still honored him because he honored God. And that's the same man that we're talking about. I mean, this is a man of integrity. This, this is a man of character. This is a man after God's own heart. But in the midst of all this... Somewhere along the way, we get this scandal, and God lets us see it. I mean, boy, does he let us see it. Does God show us every sin that David did? 
He does not. But notice in this passage of Scripture, God says, David, this one's going to be public. He makes that statement. Nathan made that statement. He said, this is going to be before eyes. People will know this. By the way, I don't even think that David understood when Nathan spoke those words that he meant everybody that would read the Bible would know this. I mean, can you imagine that? We're not talking, we're talking about David. When I say David, most people instinctively say Bathsheba. Some say Goliath, but a lot of people say Bathsheba. Because you know what? We think about people, we remember people a lot for the things they did that were bad. Not always the things that they did that were good. We understand something in this day. Uh, first, there was a chastisement that was going to come. Let me give you these and we'll be done. It was a time of silence. David kept his sin hidden within his heart. There was no record in the Bible of him telling anyone about it. Only he knew what he had done. Bathsheba knew about the adultery at least. We don't even know that Bathsheba knew about what David did with Uriah. And I don't think she did. I don't think she knew that. She mourned her husband. She loved her husband. We, we don't even see any of that. David is the one that knows about these. And maybe the people that David gave the command to. And nobody confronts David. It's a time of silence. It was a time of sorrow. And by the way, it's the same in your life. You know, I've heard people that are in sin say, I don't hear from God. You don't hear from God because of your sin. Because when you sin, it breaks fellowship and you stop hearing from God. And that, that's what happens. You know, people can sit and sometimes, you know, the only thing that God wants from you if you're in the midst of a scandalous sin in your life is that He wants to hear, God, I am sorry. And not just I'm sorry that I got caught. God, I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And God, I'm repenting and I will never return to this again. Never. And if if it's godly sorrow that worked repentance, you won't return to it. Sometimes we get guilt. We feel guilty. Being guilty is not repentance. Feeling the guilt and the pressure. Don't you think David felt under pressure? Don't you think David was crunched? I mean, did he not still have the king, uh, kingly responsibilities and duties in that entire year? He still had to make decisions, but they weren't good ones. He, he, still, he, still, had to, he still had to move forward. He still had to save face. He still had to entertain. He still had to be among people. I mean, there were things that had to happen, but he, all the while he's carrying this sin. It was a time of sorrow. It seems that in this episode in David's life, it prompted him uh, to write at least two different psalms. One of these is Psalm 32 and the other is Psalm 51. We see David's heart as God allows us to see the heart of one that is broken because of his sin. And the way God's heart is broken because of ours. And there was a time of sorrow. The Bible says that a man should examine himself. How many, how many have a check engine light in your car? How many of yours is on right now? Anybody? No one's willing to admit it. All right, yeah, okay, a couple of you, all right? And you know what we always say? Well, it's just something, you know, there's nothing wrong. It's just, it's not, there's nothing wrong with it. And yet we always say that, right? I mean, there's a check, we go to inspection, check engine's light. Well, you know, it's something that, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong, you know? Well, why is the light on? Well, you know, there's a malfunction somewhere. Like every check engine light is a malfunction. We all do that. I mean, we, we, we tell ourselves that none of those things matter. You know, it, you know those, they're, they're just lights, you know. They're lights on the dashboard. They don't really mean anything. Well, if the car is functioning properly, 
that light means something. And there's always signs. Before something happens, a major thing happens, there's always signs, right? Symptoms. And if you don't get them checked out and diagnosed, you know, things happen. We say, well, we ignore that. You know, how many have ever, you've ignored, you've ignored something in your car and it didn't work out so good because you ignored it for too long? You know, nobody's, we don't, we don't admit that. You know, we're going to have a hard time admitting sin. We can't even get people to admit car problems. In a Baptist church, I know that car pa- problems abound. All right, I know that at least. All right, so here, you know, we, we're here and, you know, we understand there's, there's warning signs, right? There's always warning signs. In the life of David, there were warning signs. Before it ever came out, there were warning signs. And by the way, if you don't pay attention to the warning signs and deal with them, you're going to end up with a big problem on your hands. God is trying to take these warning signs and say, hey, hey let's, listen, come on. You know, and I know, God's done it in my life. God's saying, hey, you deal with this. If you don't deal with this, it's going to become a bigger problem. You, you deal with this. If you, if you don't do something about it, it's going to be a bigger problem. If we would only listen to God's check engine light. If, if we would only obey when God says, hey, listen, there's a problem here. There, there's a problem you need to deal with. If you would deal with your sin when it was there... It wouldn't become the scandal. But sin, when it's allowed to have its way, what does it do? It just continues, doesn't it? It progresses, doesn't it? It gets worse, doesn't it? And before long, you're there and you say, and you know what? sad because you'll sit in a church service and you'll turn off the message too. Wore out. Not because of work. Because of your sin. Because of your sin. And we blame other things. Well, you know, I'm going through... But when sin is in someone's life, they start to fall apart. Health-wise, emotionally, physically. Because you don't deal with sin. It just continues to fester in your life. It's not going to bring health about in the life of a Christian. It's going to hurt you. And if you don't deal with it, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. There was not only the consequences of his sin, but there was also the confrontation. There was a shock. Of the confrontation, we said, we said, what do you mean the shock? Well, could you imagine the man of God? I mean, could you imagine if I showed up at your doorstep yesterday and told you what I knew about your sin? I think there would be maybe a little shock. Well, I didn't know that you knew about that. Isn't it amazing how finding out that another person knows about our sin is more shocking than knowing that God knows about it? Isn't that a sad thought? That we're more, that just shows you where we're at as human beings. We're more concerned with what others think about us than what we are God thinks about us. That's why we'll lie to people to make ourselves look better before people when God knows all along what we are. You say, well, what am I supposed to do? Just let everybody know? No, it's not a sense of you're just supposed to let everybody know. But how about you come before God humbly? You know, you you stand before God, you shake your fist, you're not going to win. You keep defying God and keep doing things wrong before God. Hey, by the way, you say, this message, this message is for all of us. It's for all of us. You say, what are you talking about? Well, can I share something with you? This message was planned six months ago. So don't think it's because I know about your sin. Because I don't. It, what I'm saying is, is that God knows and that should be enough. You know, so, so what I'm saying to you is that 
God knows about our sin, does he not? Shouldn't that be enough? Shouldn't that be enough to cause us this morning to get right? But we don't. And I think it's because we think that God's too busy to think about my sin. Or we get used to that relationship to where, well, you know, God, and well, God, you know about my sin and you haven't done anything yet. So that must be you're okay with it. Don't ever think that. You know, if God's been merciful to me, I want to thank Him for that. I want to thank Him for that. Because I understand what I deserve from God. How about you? Do you really understand what you deserve from God? Everybody awake this morning? You understand what you deserve from God? I mean, isn't it, isn't it just His mercy that we're not in hell? I mean, we deserve that, and God's holding that back from us. He's withholding what we do deserve, and He's giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy and grace. Withholding what we deserve, giving us what we don't deserve. That's God's mercy and God's grace. And God's doing that every day for you. He's doing that every moment for you. He's doing that every second for you. And He's doing it for me, too. And boy, sometimes we can be so full of pride. Thinking the reason why we stand is us. Thinking the reason why we have not yet fallen is us. There was the shock of the confrontation. God allows confrontation in your life when it comes to sin. Uh, if you won't deal with it, God allows someone else to know to confront you. There's not only the shock, but there's the shame. David was reminded of all that the Lord had done for him. God had chosen him, saved him, blessed him, elevated him to the throne of Israel. Isn't that what Nathan said? Isn't that what Nathan said to him? He said, God's blessed you. God made you king. And you had to take her. You could have had anything. You could have had everything. And you had to take her. Why, David? Why did you... And you say, whose voice is that? That's not Nathan. That's God's voice. God is hurt. He said, you have everything. And you had to do that. Why? He's a father in tears. You see him? He's saying, what are you doing? He said, you can have anything. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I'm your father. What are you doing? You think you can't come to me and ask me for things that you have need of? Come and ask. I'll give. He stands as a father and he pleads. What are you doing? And sometimes we don't see God like that, do we? We see God up there waiting to... To spank us or to chastise us, but he's the father. He's, he's up there saying, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? I've given you everything. Has not God given us everything? What has he held back from us? He gave us his only begotten son. He sacrificed his son on a cross for us because he loved us so that we wouldn't have to live in our sin but we could have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If that doesn't move you this morning, you don't have a pulse. I mean, if that, if that doesn't move you this morning, you're not thinking about it. That God, would, in his, who is rich in mercy, do you understand that? He is rich in mercy. And He has held back what you deserve and what I deserve so that we could have heaven, so that we could have a relationship with Him. He says to David, what are you doing, David? What have you done? I gave you everything. You say, well, if I had everything David had, I would have never. No. Because things don't satisfy. God satisfies. David lost his satisfaction in God and began to look at it in things, and that's when he lost. 
you lost your satisfaction in God too. If you wouldn't have lost your satisfaction in God, you would have never pursued that. Because God is the one. Jesus said, if you drink of the water I give you, you never thirst again. What's he saying? I satisfy. Do you believe this morning that Jesus satisfies? Isn't it high time that the church of the living God live like Jesus satisfied? I mean, if we would live like Jesus satisfied, people might start to want what we're drinking. And it's not Kool-Aid. It's Jesus. Hey, you say, what are you talking about? Drink of the water, the living water. Jesus Christ. That's what people need to drink. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How are they going to see? How are they going to see? The Bible says that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. God says, people see me through you. That's how people see God. They see it through us. If we're not showing God to them, guess what? No one is. You say, what are you talking about? Well, if God is in us, shouldn't people see Him? Shouldn't they see Him? Nobody was seeing God in David. The sorrow of the confrontation. You can almost hear the sadness in the voice of Nathan. Why did you do this? After the Lord has been so good to you. How could you do this? It must have broken the heart of the Lord. I could imagine this morning that my sin hurts God just as much as David's. How about you? You know, I, you know whose sin is in my mind right now? Mine. Mine. Not yours. Mine. Because I'm a man and I've sinned. I've done wrong. You know whose sin should be in your mind? Yours. Yours. What sins have happened in your life that could be scandalous this morning and are not because of God's mercy? What sins will you choose to continue in? Not only was there the confrontation and the consequence, but there was the cleansing. Look at verse number 13. 2 Samuel 12, verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. The sin is confessed. He confessed. I have sinned. When David hears the charges, suddenly his mind is clear. For the first time in months, he can see the situation just as it is, and he makes a full and honest confession. I have sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. Not only is the sin confessed, but the sin is cleansed. Look at the verse. The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Who put it away? (laughs) Ever tell your kids to clean up? Ever hear them say, I didn't make the mess? See, we think we're only responsible with what we make the mess with that we have to clean up. Can I share something with you? God didn't make the mess, but He cleans it up. You made the mess, God cleans it up. 
Some of you kids just got to realize, it's like mom. It's like mom. I make the mess, she cleans it up. Well, God is a parent to us. But understand, the way God cleans up is not the way that I clean up. Come on, parents, you know. You send your kids into a room to clean up. Do they clean up better than what you would clean up? Or do you usually come in and say, now you didn't clean this up the right way, and you, and you try to help them, right? Or you come back in and you do it after they did it. Now, can I share something with you, parents? After a few years, and they begin to become older, and maybe even add teen to one of their ages, they should be old enough then to clean up the way that you clean up. If they're mature. Can I share something with you? I will never clean up the way God cleans up. Because I'm not able. I'm not able to. See, our response in the flesh is cover up. And God's is clean up. I'm a good cover up. How about you? Make things. You ever go in a room? I can make a room look clean even if it's not. Anybody good at that? Come on, you all got that closet. That drawer, come on, the junk drawer, right? That's now inundated like six drawers. It's not just one drawer anymore, it's like six. And, you know, after it goes from drawers, it moves to attic. And then attic gets full and it goes to basement. And then garage. And before long, your house is full of more junk than it is good stuff. That's how sin works, too. Because when you don't get the junk out, it just grows. I look inside a jar. How did all this stuff get in? Because somebody put it in there. And nobody cleaned it up. You know why? Because somebody said, well, I don't have time to clean up. We take more time covering up than it would actually take to clean up. You know why? Because God doesn't cover up. He cleans up. And he'll clean it up a lot faster than you could ever cover it up. You say, why? Because he can. Because he promised he would. And because he loves us. So keep covering up. Or, God, I'm tired of covering up. I want to clean up. But I understand that I can't clean up. All I can do is make messes. But I'm asking you to clean it up. You see what the Bible says? That's not me. That's what the Bible says. The Lord also hath put away thy sin. You sinned against him, and he put it away. He didn't cover it up. Where did he put it, by the way? Well, the Bible gives us some insight as to where God puts sin. As far away from him as the east is from the west. He puts it and buries it somewhere where it is never, ever remembered again. He doesn't think about it. He doesn't dwell on it. He gets rid of it, and it's never seen again. Not in your life, and not in God's memory. That's how God cleans up. You know how I know if God cleans you up? Because it doesn't exist in your life anymore. And if it's still in your life, then you've been trying to cover up and you have yet to let God clean up. You know what some of us need this morning? 
We need God to come clean up. David understood that when he prayed this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. What's he saying? God, I can't, I can't make a new heart. God, you make a new heart. God, you clean this up. I don't want this anymore. I, I, I'm tired of this, but I've tried and I can't. You know what you need to stop doing this morning? You stop trying to do it yourself and you let God do it because God will do a better job than you would ever do. Why is it that we are so prideful that we think that the mess that we made that we could possibly clean it up? David, Saul tried to clean up his mess. How good did he do? He didn't clean it up. By the way, he never let God either. You know what some of us need to do? It takes humility to open the door and say, here's the mess. I did it. And I can't clean it up. That's hard. Because we think we're adults. Well, I can clean up anything that I make a mess of. You can't. Not with sin. Doesn't work like that. You just say, here it is. I did it. I need help. Because I can't clean it up. And it's just getting worse. And all I do is I walk in the room and I feel guilty because I, I look at it. And I can't do anything with it. And it hurts to admit that, but I, I can't clean this up. You say, well, that's awfully juvenile. Can I remind you, you're God's child? You're His child. It's not a coincidence that God refers to us as children. Or how about this? Sheep. You know what we're like? We're, we're like the sheep that try to go to the shepherd and say, hey, you know, I think we should go this way. No, you're just sheep. You don't tell the shepherd which way to go. You just follow him. And you know what? When the sheep make a mess, who cleans it up? Shepherd does. The shepherd does. Because they can't clean themselves up. That's why God likens us that way. You know what? Maybe this morning you need to see yourself the way God sees you. Maybe that's what needs to happen. Maybe you need to see yourself the way God sees you. Because God doesn't see a man or a woman. God sees a little child that made a mess and is just making it worse trying to clean it up. You with me this morning? Because we all got a junk drawer. And maybe, maybe it's the attic and the basement and the closets and the garage. Maybe that's what it's become in your life. And you know what? Before long, you only have one little area where you let people come in, in your house, because it's the only clean room in the house. Don't, don't go in there. And then before long, you can't have anybody around at all. Because there's no clean places anywhere. And you're embarrassed of your life. God wants to come and clean it up. How about this? You come to God this morning. 
You know where it's at, by the way. If it's in the attic, the drawer, the basement, you know where it's at. So just say where it's at. Can I say this? You know where it's at and you know where you go to get it. Everybody does with their sin. You know where it's at and you know where you go to get it. So why don't you tell God? That's where it is. You say, well, he already knows. Yeah, but he wants you to say it. Because until you make it his house, he can't clean it up. We think that we invite the Lord in to come and visit for a little bit, and then he leaves. That's not how it works, Christian. He wants to dwell forever. He knows it's in the house. He's already seen it. I want you to say, Lord, there it is. I did it. I can't clean it up. Please do it. And God, once you take it out, I'm not going back out in the trash heap to bring it back in. It's gone. It's gone. Father, I pray you help us.